Good morning. We want to welcome everybody that has joined us through Facebook Live, and we would like you for to like us or uh, leave a comment so we'll know that you're watching. Of course, we welcome all of you in our sanctuary, and we're glad to see some people back that have been gone for a while, and uh, especially Miss Emily. Yay. Yes. <laughs> Emily took time off to have a baby. <laughs> time for Pastor Kathy. Last time I forgot her. <laughs> Good morning, St. Paul's. Uh, as Gwen said, it's wonderful to have you back, Emily. So will you all join me in prayer? Oh, gracious and loving God, we do indeed give you thanks. Thanks that you called us to this place this morning whether you called us to the sanctuary or called us to, to be in worship online. God, we know that we don't have to ask you to come into this space, for wherever we are, you are always there just waiting for us. So instead, gracious God, we ask that you help us remove the distractions. Help us to open our hearts and open our eyes and open our ears so that we may experience the risen Christ today and leave this place transformed. Amen. St. Paul's United Methodist Church welcomes, affirms, and extends our love to all persons, regardless of age, ethnicity, race, income, life experiences, abilities, sexual orientation, gender identity, or gender expression. All are welcome into our family. And now we have our youth, Serenity Duckworth and Ezra Marlin, to light our Advent wreath. Last week, we lit the candle of hope. We light it again this morning, reminding us that God's hope lives in us. This morning, we light the second candle of Advent, the candle of peace. I need to relight it. Pardon us. We remember John the Baptist, the one God sent to point us to Jesus, the Prince of Peace. We are thankful for people who have challenged us and led us from our disappointment and disunity into paths of peace. They seem like John, called by God to prepare us for deeper faith with Christ as our guide. This Advent, we commit to be peacemakers. Will you please join us in prayer? Merciful God, we give thanks that you send messengers like John to call us to greater faith. We ask that you help us to prepare for you through prayer and acts of holy compassion. 
forgive us and lead us to your light and help us experience your peace, a peace that passes understanding. Amen. Well, good morning, St. Paul's. It is a gift and a pleasure to be with you all again after these 10 weeks we have been apart. Um, I am so, <laughs> I'm happy to be back. It's a bittersweet thing, um, but my children are well taken care of in Bartlesville, so I'm not going to worry about that. Um, we're going to come together and pray uh, and remember all of those who are in need of God's compassion and grace and love. Let us pray. In the hushed anticipation of your coming, O Lord, kindle in us the desire to remain awake, that we might be ready for your coming and eager to pray. O God, in the days to come, the mountain of your house will be established and your joy shall reign. We pray for the United Methodist Church in this time of turmoil and change, that with these changes we would be renewed in our commitment to loving all of your people and inviting them into full communion in the life of the church. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Out of Zion shall go forth instruction, and you, O God, shall judge between the nations. We pray for our nation and all nations that your peace would be manifest in every corner of the earth. May we as a church and as your people dedicate ourselves to ensuring liberty and justice for all, not just a privileged few. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. In your kingdom, O Lord, wolves lie down with lambs and children play with serpents without fear. We pray for the sick, for the suffering, and for those in distress of any kind. We pray that you would heal all injuries comfort all grief, and settle all wrongs. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. In the fullness of time, O God, you sent your Son to be born of Mary, and his name was Emmanuel, God with us. We thank you for your presence with us, and we pray that you might always be present with those whom we love but no longer see. Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayers. Come among us, O God, and hear our prayers, so that when your Son Jesus comes among us with great might and in manger mild, we might recognize his face and his voice and come to adore him. Amen. For those of you that study lectionary trivia, you may know that the second Sunday of Advent, the Gospel reading, is always about John the Baptizer. I'll be reading from Matthew 3, 1 through 12. I invite you to stand as you are able or to rise in your pews. I'll be reading from the Common English Bible Version. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the desert of Judea announcing, Change your hearts and lives. Here come the kingdom of heaven. He was the one whom Isaiah the prophet spoke when he said, The voice of one shouting in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. John wore clothes made of camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. People from Jerusalem, throughout Judea, and all around the Jordan River came to him. 
As they confessed their sins, he baptized them in the Jordan River. Many Pharisees and Sadducees came to be baptized by John. And John said to them, You children of snakes, who warned you to escape from the angry judgment that is coming soon? Produce fruit that shows that you have changed your hearts and lives. And don't even think about saying to yourselves, Well, Abraham is our father. I tell you that God is able to raise up Abraham's children from these stones. The ax is already at the root of the trees. Therefore, every tree that doesn't produce good fruit will be chopped down and tossed into the fire. I baptize you with water, those who have changed your hearts and lives. The one who is coming after me is stronger than I am. I'm not worthy to carry his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The shovel he uses to sift the wheat from the ashes is in his hands. He will clean out his threshing area and bring the wheat into his barn. And he will burn the husks with a fire that can't be put out. My friends, this is the word of God for the people of God. You may be seated. Will you go with me to God in prayer? Oh, gracious and loving God, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you. For indeed, you are our rock and our redeemer. And gracious God, at this time especially, I ask that you help me to step back. Fill me with your spirit so that it is your word, not mine, that is heard so that it is your word that lands on our hearts, so that it is your word that comes back to us throughout the week, that causes us to ponder, and that leads us to change. Open our hearts to receive your word. Amen. I love the image that Gwen read earlier from the prophet Isaiah. I think it is one of the most beautiful images of what has become known as the description of the peaceable kingdom. The wolf will live with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion will feed together, and a little child will lead them. They won't harm or destroy anywhere on my holy mountain, on my holy earth. And just about the time that I'm basking in that image, along comes John the baptizer and reminds us that if this is the world that we want, we have work to do. We have work to do while we wait for the coming of Christ. It's not a passive waiting. John's message is clear as he, and as he helps us prepare. Now in many of the translations we hear John saying, repent, but repent is one of those words like sin that has been abused by so many churches. It's words that are used to manipulate people and make them feel guilt and shame. Words that lead to feelings of unworthiness. Words that cause us to shut down rather than to open our hearts to God. The translation that I read this morning from the Common English Bible translates the Greek word metanoia more accurately. We hear that John cries out, not repent, but change your heart and your lives, which is really what that Greek word metanoia means. Meta meaning change and noia meaning mind. 
It's an active word that shows a change in the way that we live our lives. As you see, Webster defines the word repent as to feel regret. But that's incomplete. Metanoia is not just a feeling, but it's a change of behavior. Turn around, turn back, turn towards God. John is crying out, reorient yourselves. Jesus is coming and let's get ready. And people were coming from all over to hear this message. And John would baptize them in the Jordan, Jordan River. In those days, baptism was typically reserved for Gentile converts to, the, to Judaism to signify their conversion. But John is calling on the children of Abraham, the Jewish people, to undergo this baptism too. It's as if he is saying, we all require some conversion, not just the Gentiles. It's a new day, a new era is coming. Change your minds and your hearts and your lives. John calls out to them, come to be baptized, for God is coming near through Jesus. Even many of the religious leaders, <clears throat> the Pharisees and the Sadducees, came to hear John's message and be baptized. But John didn't let them off the hook. He didn't let them just mingle in the crowd. He calls them out. Oh, you children of snakes. Other translations have, oh, you brood of vipers. Don't think that just because you are religious leaders, you are covered. No, John says to them, change your heart. And friends, indeed, the church must have a change of heart and to change its ways. The message from the pulpit, from all pulpits, needs to be clear. All people are children of God. All people are God's beloved. And all people are welcome. We have had far too many hate crimes committed in the name of God. Far too many egregious acts of violence and murder committed against the LGBTQ plus community, against our Jewish siblings and against people of color. And sadly, my friends, those rates are rising. I remember <clears throat> a few years ago when Sarah Cunningham, founder of <clears throat> Mom Hugs, was our guest preacher. She was, speaking at, at, she was speaking of the harm that is done to our LGBT community. And she said, until the message from the pulpit changes, our society will not change. Those words have had a profound impact on me. The church must be the voice of those helping our nation turn into a peaceable kingdom. That kingdom that Isaiah describes. It is not a place to promote division. Now, as many of you know, the United Methodist Church is going through a divorce, with the presenting issue being the full inclusion of LGBTQ persons into the life of the church and into ordination of clergy. <clears throat> Those who are strongly opposed to this radical concept, a concept that I am confident that Jesus, the one who always, always, always drew the circle wider, would be working towards. Churches are leaving the denomination. And with all that I have, I truly believe that this opens the door for our denomination to be fully inclusive.
but it's going to take some time, but we're headed in the right direction. We're experiencing metanoia. But with any divorce, there's a great deal of grief that accompanies it. And we have to acknowledge that grief. In October, the annual conference met to vote on disaffiliation of 29 churches. And we'll meet again in April to vote on other churches who have decided to leave. For Oklahoma, the percentage of churches leaving is relatively low. Yet it is still a fracturing and a splintering occurrence. Yesterday, two conferences in the state of Texas met to, to disaffiliate. The Northwest Texas Conference, which is the Texas panhandle that includes the Lubbock area, yesterday lost 71% of its churches. Of their 204 churches, 145 voted to leave. And in the Texas Conference, which is the area around Houston in southeastern Texas, lost 49% of its 598 churches. 294 left. And yes, friends, let's be clear. There are LGBTQ people in those 439 churches, faithful members of those churches who are dealing with the reality that their church would rather leave the denomination rather than risk being part of a denomination that will become fully inclusive. Friends, our prayers and our support are needed for these communities. It's not just simply those churches changing their sign in front of their church. They have made a clear and loud statement about who they are that was made by their decision to leave the United Methodist Church. <clears throat> Deaconess Laura Young is our liaison uh, and also the liaison to all of the state of Texas from the, from the Reconciling Ministry Network. That's the UMC group that provides support and resources to reconciling churches such as ours. She posted on Facebook yesterday about the happenings of those two conferences in Texas. And she talked about the heartache and what it will mean for both of these conferences to lose so many churches. But she concluded her post by words that give me hope. She said, I've never cared about being a big church, not locally, nationally, or globally. What I care about is being, on, being an authentic witness for the gospel, that cause for which Christ was killed, no matter how large or how small, I'm convinced that our best, most Christ-like days are still ahead. Amen. Yeah. I believe that to be true. Our denomination is becoming more Christ-like and there are better days ahead. But friends, we have much work to do. And that's John's message to us this morning. Prepare the way. God is coming. The kingdom of God is near. We can reach out and touch it. We can step right into the middle of it. But to do that, we must pay attention. We must stay focused on what is right and true and what is just. We can't get sidetracked and lose that focus. Earlier this week, 
ABC News anchor George Stephanopoulos aired parts of an interview that he had with Sam Brinkman Freed, more commonly known by his initials SBF. Now some of you know that name, but some of you might wonder who he is. He was the founder of FTX, the cryptocurrency exchange that was based in the Bahamas. Now first let me tell you, I know absolutely nothing about cryptocurrency. It makes no sense to me and I cannot wrap my head around it. Yet it made headlines this week. Because of the egregious mismanagement that FTX, they filed bankruptcy this week. And SBF, the founder of that company, overnight went from being a 30-year-old successful businessman with a net worth of $20 billion to a young man most likely facing criminal charges related to mismanagement and having a net worth of less than $100,000. He plummeted from someone who was on the very top to someone whose future looks very bleak. His interview was very heartfelt. There was no pretentiousness. He was not blaming others. He indeed was remorseful, not because of what he had lost personally, but because so many people lost a great deal of money by investing in his company, money that they trusted him with. And as Stephanopoulos asked him what happened, he asked him, how do you explain the failure? Was it inattention? Was it arrogance? And SBF replied, good question. Some part of it was just literal distraction. I should have spent more time, part of each day, taking a step back and saying, what are the most important things here? And how do I have oversight and make sure I'm not losing track of those? And frankly, I did a pretty incomplete job at that. Stephanopoulos confronted him and said, but wait a minute, in an earlier podcast, you said that one of your greatest talents was risk management. That's obviously wrong. And SBF replied, well, I think it was something much deeper. I wasn't even trying. I wasn't spending any time or effort trying to manage risks on F." If I had been spending just an hour a day thinking about risk management on FTX, I don't think that would have happened. I think I stopped working hard for a bit. Honestly, if I look back, I think I got a little cocky, more than a little cocky. Part of me had felt like we made it. His interview made me think of John the Baptist crying out in the wilderness, Pay attention. Pay attention to your lives and turn around if you need to. Have a change of heart if you need to. And focus on what's important, your relationship with God. Friends, that's the risk management in our life. And I I thought about SBF saying that if he had simply spent one hour a day looking at risk management, he would not be in the position that he and his company are in. It made me think about the daily risks that we face. Factors that pull us away from God. Factors that make us lose sight of God's love for us. Factors 
that cause us to act in ways that don't convey God's goodness to others and to ourselves. And I wonder, what would happen if we took SBF's advice and spent some time each day looking at how we manage those risk factors before they occur? What if we spent some time each morning thinking about the day ahead of us and identifying those times that we might possibly get off track, those times that our day might be extra hectic or difficult, those times in our day when we might be tempted to get off track, not off track from our schedule, but off track from shining God's light on others, off track from being a peacemaker, off track from being a bearer of hope, off track from making Jesus visible to those we meet. Since listening to his interview, I have found myself paying more attention to those risk management factors in my life and spending time at the end of the day looking back on the day and how I navigated those moments. Sometimes I can give thanks that God led me through those times and sometimes I have to admit I got off course and I think about how I could have handled the situation differently. Yes, friends, it's risk management. You see, like SBF, sometimes we think we've made it. But sometimes we get off track from being followers of Jesus. Maybe we get a little cocky and think, I've got this rather than, with God's help, I've got this. John the Baptist proclaims, Jesus is coming. No matter how messy our lives get, no matter how messy the world gets, Jesus is coming. Over and over and over again, Jesus is coming to give us peace. That peace that surpasses all human understanding. A peace that is stronger than any storm that we might face. Friends, that's the best risk management strategy we have. Prepare the way of the Lord. And let me end with this story. A mother was getting on to her child about not getting her room cleaned. She had fussed and she had fussed endlessly with the child. And then she finally pulled out the Santa card and she said, Honey, if you don't get your room clean, Santa's not coming. And the little girl looked at her and she said, that's okay, because no matter how messy my room is, Jesus is still coming, even if Santa doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Yes, friends, no matter how messy our rooms get, Jesus is still coming. That's the promise of Advent. That's the promise of Christmas. Let us hold on to it tightly. It is in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, one God, Mother to us all. Amen. Four weeks ago, we started a time of focusing and reflecting on God's blessings in our lives. And I think back to Patty, who's been a member for 25 years. And she said, give what you can give. And she's learned that God blesses whatever we give and multiplies it from there. The next week, David, who's somewhat of a newer member, 
encouraged us to share of our time, talent, and treasure. And that took a little bit of the heat off of it, didn't it? But it was a really good message and has really stuck with me. Then last week, Kathy, I knew to stick to notes today. Excuse me. Then Barry reminded us that our gifts not help not only our own community, but literally our gifts make a difference around the world in all the ministries Friends, that we support. Go in peace. Last filled week, with hope. Kathy took off her robe that over and came and to over us and over just again, one of us. Jesus is coming. And encouraged us Pay to give attention. until it Don't helps. get distracted. And she reminded us that God for her, is she started with small gifts. To and that grew over that time joy and as that her sense of, that love and hope um, of the belonging grew. Amen. Well, I don't know that there's much more to say than that. God's abundance is just amazing. It's immeasurable. For me, it's a privilege to be able to share my tithe and a little extra sometimes for offerings and the time that I spend. I've watched God more times than I can count put food on the table when I didn't know where money was coming from, a blessing and encouragement from someone who I didn't expect but most needed it at the time. And I encourage you, take God at his word. And if you would listen with me to Luke 6.38. Give and it will be given to you. I've just lost my place. <laughs> Give and it will be given to you a good portion, packed down, solid, firmly shaken and overflowing, will fall into your lap. The portion you give will determine the portion you receive in return. Will the ushers come forward? As they're coming forward, I encourage you to make a gift for staff gifts. This is the last week we'll collect. And if you would please put it in an envelope and put it in the offering plate so that uh, it will go through and be recorded. Now let's pray. Father, we come to you with grateful hearts for a church that worships, honors, and adores you. That teaches us how we can make a difference in the world. And Father, I pray that you would bless all of the givers, that you would multiply the gifts, the offerings that we're making today, that you would multiply it and make lasting difference in people's lives. For it is in your son's name that we pray. Amen.